Blog Talk Radio. talk for this segment about something that's very near and dear to my heart. And no, I'm not going to be talking about gluten-free baking today, although that is also very near and dear to my heart. I'm actually going to be talking about celiac disease, gluten sensitivity, and doctors. Doctors who are missing the diagnosis, doctors who are not giving credence to patients' complaints and symptoms and are contributing to the problem, unfortunately, of you know not enough people are being diagnosed with this very serious disease and the condition as well of non-celiac gluten sensitivity. The reason why I'm bringing this up right now, although you know it's ever present and has been for you know the history of the disease, is because I'm reminded by the fact that I, you know, I, I've been asked by Dr. Fasano, Dr. Alessia Fasano from the Center for Celiac Research, to come to his medical student classes for several years in a row now, and this happened again this week during their discussion of celiac disease. And it's a really, really neat thing that he's doing because he's inviting me as a patient to come in and talk to tomorrow's doctors about celiac disease from the patient's perspective and about my 10 years of misdiagnosis with other things, not celiac disease, and what that did to contribute to my health problems. And, you know, my my story is unfortunately too similar to so many other people's stories around the the world, even um, with regard to celiac disease. It's a difficult disease to, to diagnose, and, and, you know, you can't blame physicians for missing it sometimes, but there are some clues and there are things that they could be looking for. And one of the biggest things is listening to your patients. So I went in and talked to the class about my story and about my symptoms and about my journey being bounced around from all these different doctors at extremely reputable um, hospitals and university um, academic settings and, and just trying to figure out what the heck was wrong with me. I had all kinds of tests run, you know, seemingly everything that, that could be done, and they kept misdiagnosing me. And it took me going to a new doctor in an out-of-the-way location and him sort of asking me some new questions that had never been asked, and they all centered around diet for, you know, us to really go down the path of celiac disease, things that had never been brought up before. So I described this to the to the class, and, and I got some great questions, and I wanted to go over that kind of thing with you today because these are, are things that I think we lose sight of as, as patients um, as well. We think that our stories are unique and and we hope that they're not happening to other people around us and you know we we um maybe internalize them a bit too much and don't spread the word and i would encourage you to do so because the more people we tell the more doctors we educate the more you know people who we can let know about our journeys the more people will be helped in the future by having their eyes opened, the physicians, to the possibility of celiac disease and to the new diagnosis of non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So I'm going to walk through a little bit of what I talked about yesterday, but also I put it out 
on Facebook and invited people to tell me their stories. And again, as I said, I think it's unfortunate that so many of their stories are so similar to mine and um, you know, having these years of misdiagnosis and, and what they've gone through. So I'm going to share a few of those stories as well as I go through. This is the kind of episode that I would encourage you to perhaps tell your doctor about or tell other people who are having struggles with their doctors about to listen in and get some ideas of how to approach things more successfully, perhaps with your physician. So I would encourage you to share this information. And, you know, if you have other comments or other things that you'd like to share as well, you can um, pop on over to Facebook um, and look for Jules Gluten-Free Flour and join our conversation there. You can also email me, support at JulesGlutenFree.com, anytime you ever have a question or comment or anything you'd like to share. And you can find me on Twitter at Jules Gluten Free as well. So without further ado, I wanted to sort of group the recommendations from us, the patients, into a couple different categories. The, the first common theme that I really heard from the folks that I talked to about this on Twitter and Facebook, as well as, you know, I travel around the country all the time teaching and speaking to groups, and, and I hear from people all the time about these stories. So I'm, I'm sort of calling from all of this information. And, and this first category is that we all kind of wish doctors thought more broad-mindedly about possible diagnoses, especially when it comes to specialists. They tend to only think about what they are specializing in and not to fault them, but, you know, they're very good at what they do, and so they, they look at symptoms and try to, to group them in things that make sense to them within their specialty. But what happens, even with gastroenterologists, is that they can miss celiac disease because it can masquerade as so many other things, the most common of which is IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, which unfortunately is a catch-all kind of diagnosis. If they can't figure out what the heck's wrong with you, you have diarrhea, you have constipation, you have gas, you have bloating, any of those types of things, mm, you've got IBS. And what happens? They tell you to eat more fiber. Well, where do you get more fiber? Hmm. In Western society, you get more fiber from things like wheat. So in my case, and in many others as well, we're told you just need to eat more fiber, and we start doing so and thereby make our situations worse because we're actually introducing more of this toxin to our body, something that our body misinterprets as a toxin, something that's poisoning us and making us sicker. And I was told that for years, and I've heard from so many people that they were also told that. Um, and that's really, really unfortunate. And I would caution physicians before you give that diagnosis of IBS to try to rule out everything else, including celiac disease, including non-celiac gluten sensitivity, because you might be actually harming your patient more, not just by misdiagnosis, but by mistreating your patient if you're diagnosing them with IBS instead of celiac disease or gluten sensitivity. Even worse than that sometimes is I've had Plenty of people tell me that looking back, they realized they had procedures done by physicians that they probably would not have had to have done had they had received the right diagnosis, been on a gluten-free diet, and their bodies had been allowed to heal. I recall this one young woman who met me at a book signing once, and she had recently had her gallbladder removed, and she did not have insurance and it was just breaking her bank to pay for the gallbladder surgery but it also had led to so many other problems and of course it's painful to have any kind of surgery and turns out she had celiac disease she didn't have a problem with her gallbladder and she you know while while you could 
obviously have both problems. This is not a case where the woman had had a problem with her gallbladder. She believed that she would not have had to have her gallbladder removed had she been on a gluten-free diet and been allowed to heal. I've heard stories of hysterectomies, all kinds of other things happening where, you know, if the patient is not well, you know, they can the problems can masquerade and can manifest in other ways that maybe would go away if they actually were diagnosed properly and allowed to heal on what Dr. Fasano calls the magic of the gluten-free diet. It really does work wonders if you have celiac disease or non-celiac gluten sensitivity and you're on a gluten-free diet, your body becomes normal again. And unless something has happened in the intervening time, which will happen to your body if it's you know undergoing this autoimmune process, Mine, for example, was at least 10 years of having this active autoimmune disease whereby I contracted other problems. I developed other problems. And other problems can often be other autoimmune diseases, which will not go away just because you're on a gluten-free diet. So it's imperative that people are correctly diagnosed as early as possible so that these other things won't happen so that when they go on a gluten-free diet, they will be healed. Um, you know, the what what is astonishing to me and, and very, very sad, and I hear this all the time and I saw it again today on Facebook and the things, you know, that people were writing there and stories they were sharing is how often physicians rail against the possibility of celiac disease. You know, as a patient, when, you know, you're sort of beating your head up against the wall, you can't figure out what's going on. And through the wonder of the Internet, you can start you know, testing and, and putting your symptoms out there in search engines and seeing what comes up, and you might hear about celiac disease. And you suggest it to your physician. Nothing else has worked. Do you think maybe we could test for celiac disease? It is astonishing to me the number of physicians who either diminish the importance of it or write it off altogether and say, you don't have celiac disease. You have migraines. Well, I've got news for you. Migraine headaches can easily be a symptom of celiac disease. It was one of my symptoms. You've got, you know, iron deficiency anemia. You need to eat more meat. Well, <clears throat> iron deficiency anemia was one of my symptoms as well. And iron deficiency anemia, according to Dr. Fasano, as he said in class this week, is one of the number one indicators of celiac disease. It doesn't necessarily, you know, seem like it's a gastrointestinal disease to have iron deficiency anemia, but it makes all the sense in the world if you think about why you have it. If your body's not properly absorbing your nutrition, then you're not absorbing the iron that you need as well, and so you can develop iron deficiency anemia. But, you know, you might not think that that would be a logical, um, you know, result of celiac disease because it's not diarrhea or it's not cramping. It's iron deficiency anemia, but you need to look at all of those things. In my second book called The First Year of Celiac Disease and Living Gluten-Free, I have two full single-spaced pages full of possible symptoms of celiac disease, and that really is scratching the surface because when you think about what's happening to your body, any number of things could manifest. I heard just on Facebook today that several people who were describing different symptoms, they had joint pain or swelling, you know, they had the headaches, they had, you know, fatigue or whatever. These are not necessarily things a doctor would jump to the conclusion of thinking celiac. But when the patient says, I would like to be tested for celiac disease, to have a physician say, that's ridiculous, I'm not ordering the test, is really mind-boggling to me how many people I hear from who have been refused celiac tests, particularly when 
it is now today a relatively simple procedure to just walk into any lab in the country and order a celiac blood panel. That's all there is to it. It's not some big invasive procedure. It's not anything you have to go to the hospital for. It's not much. You get some blood taken and it gets tested at any lab in the country. And it just astonishes me that there are physicians who are refusing that. And it is really, you know, just the beginning of trying to get diagnosed with celiac disease. So I've heard from a lot of people who just say, please, please educate the physicians on how simple this is, this very first step. And, you know, I think the the questions that doctors ask, and, and some of these doctors, I would say, who are de- denying the celiac test, I would ask them how many questions they have really asked of that patient to dig deeper and take the time that maybe you've been unwilling or believe that you're unable to give to ask those questions. I mean, I never had the celiac um, testing done until this doctor asked me about my diet. I would never have known that diet had anything to do with why I was feeling so bad. But he took the time to ask me these questions about my diet, and then I ended up having the upper endoscopy and being tested through that, through biopsies, and was diagnosed with celiac disease. So there's, there are lots of different things that a doctor can learn if you just stop and ask some questions. And if you want to deny the celiac test, you, I, I encourage you to ask even more questions. Well, why is it that you think you might have celiac disease? Let's talk about this. And if you don't know enough about celiac disease to know for sure, Mr. Physician, Dr. Physician, <laughs> then you need to go and find out more. Um, you know, I've heard from several people that, they feel like doctors think that they're overreacting, you know, they're they're an overanxious parent or they're hypochondriacal or something like that. Well, I, I would encourage you again, ask some more questions and identify the root problems. I mean, maybe the patient is slightly hypochondriacal, but there's probably a a reason, a root problem that could be leading to that behavior and that could be a clue to the correct diagnosis. It's not as simple as just saying that the person's a picky eater or if someone tells you that she feels sick when she eats, don't tell her that's not possible. That is what is happening to her. You have to give credence to the symptoms and be respectful as a physician. It's not easy to talk about embarrassing health issues. Nobody wants to, you know, tell someone about their diarrhea. And if someone's actually going to take the time to describe those symptoms to you and tell you that this is something that's happening to them, it's probably so bad that they just can't take it anymore. And it's really happening. Don't tell your patient it's not happening. It's your job to find out why, not to argue about whether it's really happening or whether it's real symptom. And please, please, please do not jump to the conclusion that it's an eating disorder. I mean, there may be some small fragment of the population that has a true eating disorder that that they are saying they can't have gluten and, and masking their eating disorder. But that is such a small percentage of people that I would say it should be dismissed out of hand until you find out more that would give you an indication that there is an eating disorder, despite what the media has been saying lately. So, you know, all of that goes to asking questions, being more more broad-minded, thinking about the testing that could be done, and being very, you know, just being very, very attentive to your patient. And there's, you know, that goes worlds towards making the patient feel like they're being heard. One of the other unfortunate themes that I heard from talking to other people about this and of course from my own experience, is that doctors know just enough to misunderstand celiac and other gluten-related disorders. 
I, I can't tell you how many people I have heard from who have been told that they should get tested for celiac disease after they go gluten-free. You know, physicians, you know, are saying to people, try going gluten-free, and then if you feel better, then come on in, we'll get you tested. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all if you understand what the testing is testing, right? Um, the tests are there to, um, the blood tests at least, are testing for the biopsy or the the, um, the antibodies that are produced by your body as a reaction to gluten. So if you're not eating gluten, you will not produce the antibodies that would be picked up on a test. So it will come back as a negative test. So that's just silly. They need to understand, you know, what's really going on in the testing and, and you know, order the test before the patient goes gluten-free. The other thing that's very unfortunate is that the blood tests, as I've uh, talked about a few minutes ago, while they're easy and they should be ordered often, they're not always accurate. And what needs to be understood by the physicians and by the patients is that there are many false negatives with the blood work, particularly if someone's been experimenting with going gluten-free, and that there are takeaways from the blood work that are misunderstood. For example, people have a negative blood work, you don't have celiac disease, and then they're told, so don't take gluten out of your diet because it's not a safe diet to be on and you don't have to be on a gluten-free diet, which is one of my biggest pet peeves. I cannot believe that people, physicians included, would tell someone that a gluten-free diet is unsafe. It's just beyond me. But a gluten-free diet is, at its at its heart, whole foods. I mean, it's fruits, it's vegetables, it's meats, it's fish, it's you know, nuts, it's all these wonderful from-the-earth things that are unadulterated and unprocessed. So how could that possibly be unsafe? So if you have a negative blood test, maybe what you should do is try a gluten-free diet. See if it makes you feel better. If it makes you feel better, then, you know, go forth and be happy. So don't tell someone don't go on a gluten-free diet if you have a negative blood test. Also, the blood work, again, as I said, can be a false negative, but what a lot of patients don't understand and perhaps the physicians don't understand enough to tell them is that just because you're testing negative now does not mean later you wouldn't test positive. You can get celiac disease. You can develop celiac disease at any point in your life. My grandfather was diagnosed with celiac disease at 81 years old, and you can get it at any point in time. So just because you've had the test once does not mean later on it wouldn't come back positive. So if you have a negative blood test, you're sitting there listening to this at home, and you said, well, I've tested negative for celiac disease, you may have celiac disease, you may get it later. It doesn't mean you'll never have it because you have a negative blood test. And, you know, doctors will sometimes order a biopsy and endoscopy from a negative blood test, but they'll almost always order it from a positive blood test. And this is what they call the gold standard um, to test for celiac disease, which is you go in and, and they knock you out and they do an upper endoscopy looking around to see if they can see evidence of damage. But, um, again, unfortunately, there are errors that are made with this gold standard endoscopy. And you need to understand about those because you need to educate yourself and sometimes your physician on them as well. Uh, apparently, recent research has shown that fewer than half of the endoscopies actually included a biopsy. 43% of endoscopies ordered included a biopsy. Well, in order to diagnose celiac disease, you have to have a biopsy. 
So if you're just in there looking around and not taking a biopsy, you're not going to be able to diagnose celiac disease. The other problem is, and this is very sad, you go through this whole rigmarole, you have the endoscopy, and they even do biopsies, but they don't do enough biopsies, or they don't take from areas of damage. There, There's user error here as well. A physician can be doing the biopsy and can um, do it from areas of the upper and um of the upper GI tract that don't show damage, and so there will not be a positive result from that biopsy. Or they can biopsy not enough places. Research has shown that at least six biopsies are needed in order to get a good positive result for celiac disease because your upper intestinal tract is very long, and they could take it from a bad angle. They could miss the spot. So you need to get at least six. So if you're sitting there listening thinking, oh, I have an endoscopy scheduled soon, tell your doctor you insist that they take at least six biopsies of your intestinal tract while they're in there. They're in there anyway, right? So just have them do it. I was in for an upper endoscopy in December, and I said the same thing to my doctor, and I was insistent. And he said, oh, don't worry, we'll do it. And afterwards, he says, I took so many biopsies that I think you probably lost a pound. (laughs) And I said, that's good. I want to know. If you're in there anyway, I want to know exactly what's going on with my body. And you should be able to say that, too, as a a patient. You should be able to say that. Um, The research has also shown that men, older people, African Americans, and Hispanics all have lower rates of biopsies compared with women or Caucasians. And this is sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy because you hear some doctors say, well, celiac disease is a woman's disease. Well, if men aren't being biopsied as much as women are being biopsied, you're going to find fewer cases of celiac disease in men, right? Makes sense. So, you know, the end result of all of this is that, unfortunately, it remains possible that a patient with celiac disease may do all the right things, seek health care, go to a specialist, go to a gastroenterologist, have the blood work, have the endoscopy, and yet still remain undiagnosed. So where does this leave you as a patient? Where does your doctor tell you to go? Well, this is, again, goes back to my point of trying the gluten-free diet. If you have done everything that you can do to test for celiac disease and the tests are coming back negative, that does not mean you should not then try a gluten-free diet. As I mentioned, it can be extremely healthy. Try a gluten-free diet and see if you feel better because we now have a diagnosis as of last year of non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which previously had not been recognized by physicians and scientists, but we patients knew that it existed. All of those folks out there who don't have celiac disease or haven't gotten a positive test result for celiac disease but feel way better without having gluten in their diets, you can't tell me that there's not something diagnostic there. Obviously, there's a problem with gluten. The person cannot eat gluten. It makes them feel bad. So what's the cure? Don't eat gluten. That's easy. Again, as Dr. Vasana said, the magic of the gluten-free diet. So try the gluten-free diet. And, and do a good job with it. You really have to take all of the, di- the gluten out of your diet. And, you know, if the symptoms are alleviated, then the patient is cured, right? It's not a pill. You can't write a prescription for it, but it can be even more more effective than a pill or the pharmaceutical companies, um, what the, whatever they would be pawning off on you. So try the diet. See if you feel any better. And please don't tell me that the gluten-free diet is unhealthy. I mean, I could really have a whole other show on that. So, you know, I guess the the next logical step in this is 
it, let's say that you have been diagnosed with celiac disease. Maybe this is a hard-fought battle. Maybe it's been years. But you were diagnosed with celiac disease. You found a doctor who made the right diagnosis and has said you have celiac disease or you have non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Some doctors are very good at putting these clues together to diagnose celiac disease, like the, the doctor who finally diagnosed it for me. But they have no earthly idea or any interest in learning what to tell the patient to do after the diagnosis. One medical student in the class this week asked me what I recommended that the doctors should do. You know, my doctor, for example, said, you have celiac disease, you can't have gluten, I don't know what that is, but you need to go figure it out and don't put it in your diet, bye. Like, that was it, nothing, nothing more. And so, you know, I thought this was a great question from the medical student. Well, so what should we do? Well, what I recommended to this med student was to have books and resources on hand to give the patient, or at least the titles to tell them to check out from the library or purchase from themselves. And by this, I mean reliable resources. The Internet, unfortunately, is so full of information that it can be overwhelming, and most of it is not vetted. So it's nearly impossible to tell what's right and wrong. I mean, there's still plenty of really bad information out there about celiac disease and about the gluten-free diet. So I would recommend some vetted, tested, trusted books and either have the titles there or have the names that you can give to the patients for them to go find the books on their own. One of them would be my book that I mentioned earlier, The First Year Celiac Disease and Living Gluten-Free. It absolutely is essential to find something like that that you can refer to and that you can you know, actually carry with you to the grocery store or, you know, fact check against when you're reading something on the Internet. Dr. Vasano has a book coming out next year. You know, from These reputable resources like that are something that would be essential. So instead of just saying, you go figure it out, say, here's some help for figuring that out. Another thing that I recommend is that you find out who are is the support group contact in your area. Most areas have some kind of gluten-free or celiac support group or somewhere, you know, close by that they could go to. And so find out that contact information and give that to the patient. And finally, you know, I would recommend a reputable dietitian who specializes in the gluten-free diet. Unfortunately, there are too many reports to mention about dietitians giving bad or outdated information or um, just not having a clue as to what to eat. Um, for example, um, every time I've been in the hospital, my two C-sections, for example, and I have given them notice that I was coming. I, the second time I had a scheduled C-section. And I said, these are my dietary restrictions. I gave them plenty of notice. This is when I'm coming in. And the dietitians on staff at the hospital had no clue what to feed me. One time I got a baked potato with nothing on it whatsoever, no salt, no pepper, no vegetables, you know, no sour cream, no nothing, right? And a side of a roll. Like they literally gave me a plain baked potato and a wheat roll. And, you know, this was in a hospital. And finally, when I, you know, protested and said, you people are trying to poison me and and simultaneously not giving me any nutrition, um, the dietitian walked to the local grocery store and came back with two bags of plain, unsalted, unflavored rice cakes and said, I don't know what to feed you. And this is a dietitian. And I've heard so many stories from people who've said the same things. There was someone on um, our local NPR station last year, and I'll never forget, it was a dietitian on there talking about the gluten-free diet. And she said two or three things that were just flat out wrong. Just because you're a dietitian does not mean that you have a full grasp of 
all of the possible diets and um, nutritional requirements of all different diseases. So I would highly recommend finding someone who specializes in celiac disease or specializes in a gluten-free diet. They exist, and they will you know, be worth um, a gold mine to you if they're any good. But if they're bad, they could tell you, like some of the stories I've heard um, just today on Facebook, they could tell you that it's okay to have a little bit of uh, plain, you know, regular Rice Krispies that have barley malt in them. It's okay to have that once in a while, or you, know, you can have cake at special occasions or things like that. I mean, it's just it boggles the mind how much misinformation there is out there. So please find someone who is a specialist in your area that you can refer people to. So the bottom line is, and I'm not trying to you know knock doctors or dietitians because there are so many of them out there who are doing the Lord's work seriously, just doing amazing, amazing work and and changing people's lives daily for the better. But for tomorrow's doctors and for those who want to do their jobs better, listen to your patients. And, you know, what they're saying to you may not make a lot of sense in the beginning, but take some notes and think about it and and really look back over and see if it could fall into one of these mystery diseases like celiac disease. Someone on my Facebook page today I thought put it really, really well. She said, the bottom line is listen to your patients. Don't be dismissive of their symptoms. Don't be closed-minded. Your patients might have some idea what they're talking about. After all, it's their body. They live in it. You don't. And don't assume that you know it all. Things change all the time, so make sure you keep up to date on medical advances and discoveries, which I thought was just a brilliant way of putting it. And as Dr. Fasano said to his medical student class on Tuesday, you know, every one of you in this room is going to go out and you're going to do the right thing and you're not going to have anybody in this room miss celiac disease. And if every medical school in the country would take some time to educate their students on celiac disease, we would have tomorrow's doctors do a much better job of diagnosing it and of recognizing celiac and non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which would be for the benefit of us all. Be proactive as a patient. Talk to your physicians. Tell them everything that they need to know and push them if you're not getting where you need to be because it's your right as a patient and you need to have a proper diagnosis. So good luck and, um, you know, find a good doctor. They're out there and it will make all the difference in the world. Take care.